Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Oh, hi. Sorry, you. Uh, I, I was uh, reading something that was uh, making making me even more anxious than I already am. I've, God, it's um, I, I I do direct your attention to it. It's uh, at theatlantic.com, and it is a piece about jeez oh, about how Trump could, in fact. Um, attempt a coup if he if he does lose the election and what is fascinating is that it says that even though the Biden campaign is you know saying oh come on uh we have full confidence in the electoral system to to work as it always has uh, blah 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 uh, the reality is is behind uh, the scenes they are preparing for the worst. They have a special working group of high-powered lawyers. Um, they have been doing massive planning exercises for rapid responses to all kinds of scenarios that they think Trump and his folks will uh, use to interfere with the uh, election. I mean, they're already uh, doing that. But uh, the part I was reading about when uh, the show began <laughs> was uh, the fact that as commander in chief, he does have the control of the military. And, you know, it's hard for us to even imagine such a thing, really, but not as hard as it used to be, unfortunately. Um, the question is, is could he? And would he potentially dispatch troops to, uh, let's say, uh, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, uh, with intent to suppress the vote or interfere with the count? Because I don't, I don't know, I don't know. And on and on and on it goes. Unbelievable. Uh, the fact that we're having these conversations, and the fact that you don't have to be a paranoid. Uh, lunatic to um, to envision now such scenarios uh, shows how much damage has has been done uh, to the country uh, I don't even know where <laughs> where to begin um, there uh, was a piece in the Times today about how in all the battleground states um, that uh, police departments are uh, are actively gearing up, are are uh, canceling um, days off, telling people shifts might you know go to twelve hours, um, and. The police are saying that they're most concerned about the days after November 3rd, after tomorrow. Um, the reality is, is that there are those on the far right who are itching to uh, incite violence and to, in fact, start a, a, a true civil war. Um, and there has already been incidents which show that these these small armed paramilitary groups are 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 out there and uh feeling their oats right and um I don't know you read this stuff national guard units are uh being called out in Wisconsin in Texas in New Jersey This is the United States of America. Where did I read that Facebook has even um, pulled out its, uh, is it 
software, I probably would be, that they have readied these tools they have designed that have never been used in this country but have been used in other countries, at-risk countries. So they're already deploying internal tools designed for at-risk countries uh, such as what they've used already in Sri Lanka and Myanmar. And that's where we're at. The Brookings Institution says the prospect of violence is particularly high. It said this in its most recent report. The broader pool of potential extremists has grown during COVID with Americans at home and online consuming vast quantities of propaganda and disinformation. So even if a relatively small percentage of people might actually mobilize to violence, the milieu from which they will emerge has metastasized significantly. The November election is increasingly perceived as a winner-take-all contest with no room for those who don't identify with a specific side. We have never been here before, except maybe the election that gave us Abraham Lincoln, which was fraught and filled with threats of violence as well. But we know what happened after that. So, you know, it's, it's daunting as hell. There's another piece about how ministers are being uh, called up to uh, be outside polling stations to help uh, mediate uh, any tensions which might arise. In other words, to be uh, you know, peacekeepers. Oh, God almighty. So, these are unusual times. Um, something I saw, which I thought had, there are two things I saw over the weekend that I thought had to be jokes, and they've both been proved uh, to not be jokes, which is, again, appalling that this is our reality. One was an article that said, and this came from, uh, I believe, NBC News. They said uh, a federal law enforcement source tells NBC that beginning, I guess this would be today, crews will will build, <clears throat> excuse me, a non-scalable <coughs> fence. Excuse me. <clears throat> a non-scalable fence to secure the White House, the Ellipse, and Lafayette Square. Trump loves his walls. He's going to be building a wall surrounding the White He already has one. But it says here an un, a non-scalable fence to secure – from whom? To secure the White House complex, Ellipse and Lafayette Square, and 250 National Guardsmen have been put on standby who will be reporting to Metro Police officials. It's what, 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 that was my, my my sense was like blah 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 like what what and then I'm sorry the other one actually is more chilling I think and I thought it was a joke 
but it turns out it's not. Some very good reporters, including my former producer, Stephen Caruso, who now works out of Harrisburg, um, have, um, have broadened uh, this story. And the story is, is that the Trump campaign actively sought highly sensitive ballot security information from county officials. The report that I saw talked about these officials in Cumberland County who were told by the Trump administration, get this, that the administration wanted names of people who transport the ballots and precise information on where ballots are stored. Now, the reason we know that is one Republican commissioner, God bless him, in Cumberland County, said, what? What? In an email sent Tuesday, and later reviewed by the Washington Post, the Trump campaign asked officials in Cumberland County for the names of people who transport ballots and voting machines once the polls close, the names of people who have access to ballots, where the ballots are counted. They also wanted to know whether information is wiped from voting machines. The hero, County Commissioner Gary Eichelberger, again, a Republican, called the request intrusive. Well, that's one word that could apply, I would think, criminal. With cr What other intent would there be? And he, he said that responding to this request would uh, disrupt the administration of the election in Cumberland County. Now, understand that Cumberland County is a county of 253,000 people, and it's uh, pretty red. It leans Republican. He said, this is a quote from him, our responsibility is to protect the integrity and security of the election. I don't know if the Trump campaign understands that. But they are asking us to do our job as the Board of Election, and that's our job, not theirs. Whatever. That, so that's unbelievable. The Trump campaign asked for the names of all people who will have access to the ballots, who will transfer the ballots. They want to know where will the ballots be? Where are they counted? Why? Since then, further reporting uh, shows that um, a commissioner in Northumberland, Northampton, I don't know all the counties, there's so many of them, North something or other county, also received the same request from the Trump administration. Is that not chilling? As anxiety producing as this election has been, the aftermath of this election is going to be, I think, the most frightening three months in American history. And the very real potential of, of violence um, exists and would not be a surprise. Which brings me to a, a tweet I saw that also echoes uh, my 
concerns about how media will cover, not just tomorrow night, but Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Will they rise to the occasion or will they continue to do what they always have done, which is try to make it as exciting, as anxiety producing as possible, focusing on things that are not necessarily the most important, but are the most combustible because that's what draws attention. And I don't think we have any um, expectation that the media as currently constituted, I'm talking specifically about television and cable, that they will somehow change their stripes overnight. So Dan Gilmore's tweet said, here's what I fear from TV news on Tuesday, that they will focus on rare cases of disruptions of balloting giving the impression of total chaos. Well, we know they'll do that. So if 98% of American polling places operate smoothly, relatively, um, the ones that will be on the news are ones in which there is trouble confrontation, uh, speculation of uh, chicanery, who knows what. But we know that's how the coverage will go. And the other concern is that they will cover Trump saying any crazy thing he wants to say, inciting violence, claiming victory, um, all of that. And of course, they will. So it's a little unsettling. Unsettling, there's the word. It was not unsettling to see the Post-Gazette endorse Donald Trump for president. How far has that paper fallen? Wow. And I mean, it is, it, it was unreadable. It was unreadable. And um, Kurt sent me a letter he wrote, which he says probably will never be published, <laughs> right? Because it's too good. Um, because he points out that that same, the paper on Sunday that had the endorsement also carried two pieces on the op-ed page, one from the bishop and one from the editorial director, Keith Burris, talking on a whole other piece, talking about how we must all respect each other. Anyway, here's Kurtz. I'll, I'll not interfere. <laughs> I will um, try to read his letter. The Post-Gazette confuses me sometimes. Sunday's paper featured a call for civility from Bishop Zubik. It also included Keith Burris's cry for reasonableness and respect to address the current crisis of division and mutual detestation that ails us. It was a powerful two-barreled promotion of social comedy. Not comedy, comedy. The confusing part is that on the same editorial pages, the Post-Gazette endorsed Mr. Trump, despite finding that he has, quote, done nothing to lessen our divisions and has often deepened them, end quote. The endorsement also conceded, quote, his rudeness, put-downs, bragging, and bending of the truth. 
Kurt writes, hence, I'm in a quandary. On the one hand, the Post-Gazette seems to embrace the lofty ideals of civility, respect, and reasonableness, and refers to the dearth of these as a crisis. But on the other hand, it dismisses these qualities as totally inconsequential when choosing a leader and encourages us to vote for a dishonest, quote, lout, and they did call him that, who will continue to worsen this crisis of respect. Character, apparently, is secondary to the fact that our pocketbooks were in pretty good shape for a while there, until they weren't. He finishes saying, after evaluating this dichotomy and regarding the PG's endorsement, I will quote Bishop Zubik's op-ed. Not every cause is worthy of respect. That's from Kurt, and I thank him for it. Well done. I'm always so enraged I could never write a rebuttal. I mean, it's like, blah, 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 blah. I mean, what's the point? Um. Oh, just to to lighten things up. I have two things to lighten things up. One, unbelievable pictures. I think they were from Friday of of Attorney General Bill Barr's house being picketed by angry Trump supporters. Huh? <laughs> Yeah. Mhm. Try to uh, yeah, try to digest that. Angry Trump supporters outside the home of the attorney general who has distorted the Department of Justice to serve Donald Trump as opposed to the nation. And they're out there angry because they say he hasn't put Joe Biden in jail. I guess that's funny. The other thing, and this comes from um, Ruth, um, she came across a word. And, you know, there are there are words that are just so right on the money. I'm always saying that, you know, Yiddish is often one that has just wonderful words. German has, well, and Yiddish and German are very similar. Also have these, well, German, you know, these words that go on for, you know, uh, two feet, but are able to then, you know, mean something that we ourselves have no such words for. But here's one. This one comes from Scotland. And let me take a moment to acknowledge the passing of uh, Sean Connery, um, the best James Bond, to say the least, the only James Bond, if you ask me, and a damn good actor, and uh, seriously good-looking hunk of man. Anyway, here's the Scottish word, and it is cockwomble. Cockwomble. See, I love the way it sounds. Cockwomble. Now, the, it totally applies to Donald Trump. The definition of cockwomble is first of all, it's a noun. And tell me if this definition is not also a total um, description of Donald Trump. So, He's a cockwomble. Here's the definition. A person, usually male, prone to making outrageously stupid statements and or inappropriate behavior, 
while generally having a very high opinion of their own wisdom and importance. A cockwomble. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny? I've been in Scotland, and you know what's funny is we share a language, supposedly. But if you bump into a true Scot, which I did when I was there, is trying to purchase something, and they start talking, it is quite conceivable you will not understand a single word. I kid you not. A single word. And I'm not alone in that. Um, actually, reading the uh, obituary for for Connery, um, his Scott, his accent was so thick that when he ventured um, from Scotland, I think he was in the he joined the military, the navy, maybe, and no one could under the the others you know english speaking uh, sailors could not understand a word he said someone thought he was what did they think they thought he was speaking polish <laughs> so he had he believe me over time learned to uh, clear up that uh, that accent a little bit he he kept enough so that it's you know a delight but yeah, man, when they really just go full out, Scott, you can't understand it. You wouldn't know it was a language that you spoke. Allison writes, this is the most frightened I think I've ever been. I understand, Allison, and I share that. And you have reason to be. This is the most frightened I've been, she says, not going through a weather event, not following any violent crime sprees, not even after 9-11. My anxiety is at maximum level. The worst part is either way it won't be over after the election. God help us. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Uh, Nicole writes, my optimism continues to fade as we approach the election. I used to think Biden had this in the bag. God, not anymore. In the past few days, I've gone numb. I am starting to just accept that Trump will likely win, whether because of this country's outdated electoral college or because he'll steal it. I wish I didn't feel this way, but it is self-preservation. I don't want to relive the deep sadness and depression that hit me in 2016. Well, ain't no escaping that. If Trump wins, you're going to feel him in spades. Those state polls show Biden winning Pennsylvania. I don't trust him. I also worry about shy Trump voters, you know, the people who won't admit it. I'm just trying to get out ahead of my feelings this time. I understand. Totally. Totally. She says, I wish I could be more hopeful, but yeah, I, you know, I feel the same way. I don't know why I can't uh, get the rest of your, I, I mean, we're all, you were, we're scared. Oh, here's the rest of it. I w this past weekend was filled with such discouraging news, the narrowing of the polls, the turnout at the Butler rally, the Post-Gazette endorsement. By the way, I canceled my subscription. That endorsement is unforgivable. Yeah. Well, look. Um, <laughs> look, I don't know. I've got nothing to say. I'm in this with you. I'm feeling I'm I'm feeling what you're feeling. I'm wondering what happened to my country. Scary. It is. 
There was this, speaking of what happened to my country. Uh, this came from the, uh, the, uh, the Hill, which I think of as a, uh, I consider it a pub- Republican-leaning um, media. But they talk about a story broke by the uh, Louisiana Courier-Journal in Kentucky. And um, what's amazing, really, though, about this story is it was not the Louisville Courier-Journal that broke it, this story. It was a high school newspaper. It's just mind-blowing to me. Student journalist at Louisville's DuPont Manual High School are the ones that uncovered this. The Louisville Courier-Journal picked it up. But the high school's newspaper um, uncovered a slideshow that was used by the Kentucky State Police in their training of their officers. Um, The kids in the high school got the slideshow through an open records request. I mean, God. And this was all because there was a case against an officer who had shot and killed a man in Harlan County two years ago. And um, his, uh, the, uh, the attorney uh, representing the family of the dead man had, um, I don't know, maybe some of, one of the kids knew him. I don't know. Anyway, according to the student news outlet, One slide was titled, Violence of Action. And that slide instructed officers to, I'm going to quote, to be ruthless killers, to have a mindset void of emotion, and to meet violence with greater violence. The slide also included a line from Mein Kampf, Hitler's book. This is training state police in Kentucky. Quote, the very first essential for success is a perpetually constant and regular employment of violence. And that is one of three Hitler quotes used in this training presentation. Incredible. Or not, or not, maybe helps explain some things. And I, I you know, I, I want to talk about uh, police culture here, because the fact that an American and, and in full, my understanding is the Kentucky State Police have acknowledged that yes, that those slides are real, but they have not been used since 2013. Okay. Well, isn't that nice? So, police culture is so toxic. And police, especially in these, at the level of sheriffs, sheriffs and their deputies, and I think we see this time and time again, the sheriffs often are on the side, are clearly on the side of the right-wing 
domestic terrorists. Look at Kenosha. Look at all the sheriffs who have over the last years said that if the feds were to have a law that they, the sheriffs found, decided was unconstitutional, they would not enforce it. There have been many times I have seen a sheriff say they would not enforce, and that often has to do with laws about guns. But so many of these law enforcement officers are themselves lawless. And they are players in this lawlessness, in their support of the right-wing so-called militias. You know, I'm I'm binge-watching uh, a uh, a show that I'm sure many of you saw um, that I never had watched uh, called Homeland. And it's about a CIA officer and the CIA and other things and the FBI. It's definitely what's fascinating about it, watching it now, is how much it, shows an America that we're living in right now. And this was made before, (laughs) right now. (laughs) But in one of the episodes I watched the other night, the local sheriffs actively worked against the federal government that was trying to arrest a right-wing talk show host who was inciting violence. And they rescued him and got him to a safe house. And I'm thinking that's just too much like what I think would be the case in this country. I think there are a lot of uh, bailiwicks in which you would not, could not uh, trust local law enforcement. So, I mean, there's, there's just so much, so much work to be done. Uh, it's, it's just mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. And as I've said before, even if Trump loses and even if he's gotten out of the White House, the media will not quit him. It's not like he's all of a sudden going to go silent. Nor will Fox News. And I don't know where this ends. I really don't. But, Allison, you have reason to be frightened. Chuck writes, having been in the TV business years ago, I thought maybe you could tell me why it is that political ads are not vetted or fact-checked, because they can't be. My understanding is a political ad cannot be denied. Uh, You can't, stations have to run them. Unless somebody tell me I'm incorrect. Um, I believe 
the laws and that maybe this is FCC stuff. Um, political ads, first of all, have to be accepted and they have to um, be given, I believe, the lowest rates, I believe. But of course, there are so many of them um, that they make tons of money. All those, all those media, uh, TV media outlets in Pennsylvania are just raking in dough. And I do not believe, just as the moderator in the debate was not supposedly to fact check anything that came out of the candidate's mouth in real time, mouths in real time, I think, I think that's the case for political ads, which is really pretty mind-blowing. Somebody feel free to contradict me on that, but that is what I, I do think. And then Chuck says, did the PG endorse Trump four years ago? No. Um, no, they did not. They did not endorse Hillary either, I don't think. But again, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I'm not, you know. Uh, Bob and Braddock says, I have a wish for you to please fulfill. In honor of encouraging those who have yet to vote him out, I wish that you would end your show today and tomorrow by playing Eminem's freestyle against Donald Trump from the BET Awards a couple of years ago. Uh, okay. Except the thing you gave me, I don't think I... I can try. Um, I aim to please, but uh, I can try. Uh, uh, Jim sent me an interesting ad that I had not seen, and it's... Um, it's from a uh, a race in Utah, and it is, in fact, the gubernatorial race in Utah. And this is a 30-second ad, and it features the two candidates doing the ad. I mean, the, the Republican and the Democrat are in the same ad. They're standing six feet apart. <laughs> The Democrats wearing a blue tie and the Republicans wearing a red tie. And they introduce themselves. And they say this. I'm not sure this has ever been done before, but as our national political dialogue continues to decline, my opponent and I decided to try something different. We can disagree without hating each other. Let's make Utah an example to the nation. Um, we can debate issues without degrading each other's character and win or lose. We will work together. So let's show the country there's a better way. That is the Republican and the Democrat um, doing a 30-second ad, TV ad, in Utah. It is, it is nice to see. It's nice to see. Now, they do add uh, CNN ads for the cynical. <laughs> the Republican is heavily favored to win this race. Would the candidates do this sort of ad if the race were really close? Um, I don't know. But people find the ad itself compelling, obviously, uh, because we we don't uh, we don't see this. Amy, by the way, who worked for. KQV forever um, is telling me, hang on, Amy, I got to get this. 
I remember the same thing about political ads. Okay. And this is from her tenure at KQV. As long as, uh, as long as it was, you know, the people who paid for it and the candidate approving the message. So, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. So that's why you have, I'm so-and-so and I approve this message that those have to be carried. But and and it has to be given the lowest uh, price that any ad had been uh, sold for that year. Jeez, nice. Um, however, that that supposes that for an ad that comes from a pack, where at the end there's no I'm. Joe Biden and I approve this ad, or I'm Donald Trump and I approve this ad, where there is none of that because it didn't come specifically from their campaign. I'm not so sure that uh, a uh, station or uh, TV or radio could not uh, say, no, that's just way too over the top. We won't run it. Because I am remembering that there were ads that that some stations refused to run at some point. So those would be ads coming from uh, some source other than the campaign itself. So Amy, thank you for that. That does uh, explain it. Um, God almighty. So Trump had his, uh, his, supporters uh, chanting fire Fauci last night. And I'm sure you've heard by now that he told the crowd, don't tell anybody, but let me wait till a little bit after the election. So after the election, win or lose, He's going to get rid of Fauci when the country is in the worst of the pandemic and Americans are succumbing to the virus at a rate hitherto for unseen. Hitherto for unseen. <laughs> he also will likely fire his FBI director, his CIA director. I think you'll see uh, a general purge of the few remaining professionals that are um, left with any power at all to be replaced by his, uh, his fascists and brown shirts. Speaking of that, that... Um, I think one of the most chilling things over the weekend was those uh, Trump supporters uh, surrounding that Biden uh, bus in Texas and imp- <laughs> excuse me and impeding it. That was uh, obvious, obvious threatening behavior, obvious dangerous behavior. It was, uh, it should be illegal behavior. And Trump, of course, has called the people who did it patriots. Which, of course, is the, is the green light for his supporters to continue to do these kinds of things, intimidate and more. So the, the dangerous thing about Trump still being president, even after he might lose, is that he will, he'll take, he'll destroy as much as he can before he leaves. 
And uh, again, you have to, anyone who is not frightened ain't paying attention. Kurt writes, you're right, in 2016, the PG did some, uh, you know, wishy-washy, uh, you decide, uh, non-endorsement. They did not uh, endorse Hillary, God knows, and they did not endorse Trump. But no such, <laughs> no such reticence now. They saw what four years of Trump could do, and they said, yeah. Let's have more of that. Oh, boy. So, God, guys, I'm just, uh, I'm just trying to hang on here. So, a little history. This was an interesting uh, piece by a uh, professor at uh, City University, New York. Um, and he's a, a Lincoln scholar. And um, it's just some historic, because uh, God knows, as we found out, we don't know our history. So just to give us a sense um, of our national election uh, then, 1860, and um, he was not inaugurated until March of 61. How'd that happen? That's what I'm seeing here. Whatever. It, 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 this professor quotes Alex de Tocqueville, who described America's presidential election as a form of sickness in which the body politic becomes dangerously feverish before returning to normal. Well, that's what usually happens. But in 1860, that was the most frightening and toxic campaign in American history. But astonishingly, it gave this country the greatest president, Abraham Lincoln. This historian says that throughout Lincoln's rise in 1860, because he was a, who? It was like, who? Who is a weird guy? Abraham Lincoln, the South, watched in horror as this, what he calls unlikely candidate grew and grew in in stature. And then he says something that I had never heard. It turns out that some of the members of the cabinet, so this would be the cabinet that existed before Lincoln, Southern cabinet members had embezzled huge sums of money and sent guns from northern armories into the south. Cabinet members stealing the north's, at the time it was still the United States of America, but transferring those to the south, arming the south for what they felt would be Yes, an armed rebellion. He says that, you know, Lincoln uh, posed a lethal threat to the Southern <laughs> way of life. And Southerners, and this is still true. That's why I say they never even lost the Civil War. The Civil War was a battle, and they've been fighting it ever since. Southerners were especially good at dominating the federal government. Get this, in the first 61 years of this nation, 
the South, people from the South held the presidency for 50 of those years. 50 of the first 61 years saw Southerners heading the federal government. The South held the presidency for 50 years, the speakership of the House for 41 years. The majority of Supreme Court justices were Southerners. And yet the North had the greater population. Does this sound familiar? Amazingly, this blew me away. Lincoln was accused of socialism. And it was whispered that he would redistribute wealth, property, and even wives, since free love would presumably follow, not to mention all of these hundreds of thousands of slaves invading the North to rape the fair daughters of the Anglo-Saxon race. That was in an article the New York Herald trumpeted, if he won. It was said that Lincoln and his running mate were actually mulatto, had black blood. In Baltimore and Washington, mobs broke up Lincoln uh, offices, shot off guns, desecrated images of Lincoln. His name was not even permitted on the ballot in 10 southern states. The fact that he made it to his inauguration alive is amazing because there were militias, gun-toting militias formed. Marching under the flag, don't tread on me. How is this not an exact replica of what we see now? The Civil War is about to be fought again. I have callers. Go ahead, please. Hi, Lynn. Um... Hi. This is Kathy in the North Hills, and I just had two quick questions about the Biden campaign bus. The first question was, Is was Vice President Biden on that bus? No. Okay. <laughs> so that posed that next question, and it's already answered where the CIA and the FBI protection would have been there for a former vice president. Yeah. That is true. But there were, you know, a lot of his aides. There was um, Democratic. Uh, there was a congresswoman. Mm-hmm. There were, you know, but yeah, she's unbelievable. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's. And I think that if it was the other party whose bus was being ambushed, there would be a whole oh. different outcome. <laughs> yeah, That's but it wouldn't be. Would it? I mean, yeah, it it, it wouldn't be. Um, no. Because, dear God, yeah. So there's, just, there's a lot of anger on that side of the politics, and it's just hard to even talk to people about it because they get angry when you you even discuss something. They can't discuss it with you. They're angry, and they yell, and you just sort of walk away because of yeah. you know all of the anger that they're they're carrying towards Did you see country. some guy some Trump guy uh shot three people in where was this Kansas No I'm uh yesterday because he said he accused them of taking his signs his Trump signs whether that's true or not I and I don't know the condition they're in but there's somebody who yeah was shooting people Mhm mhm well, that's Scary. all I wanted to say. All right. Well, thank much. you. Okay. Thank bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Henry writes, on the topic of political ads, we now have Twitter and Facebook slapping warnings on misinformation. 
So maybe we can do that for TV ads. Again, not if the FCC doesn't allow that. Um, ads from the from the um, the candidates themselves. Also, these political ads do nothing other than give the base talking points. These ads do not sway the undecided, in my opinion. The biggest victim of this administration is truth. Yeah. And these ads uh, demonstrate that, yeah. Um, Barbara sends me this. The press is missing the story once again, refusing to be aggressively honest in its reporting, afraid of being accused of taking sides. The press is avoiding telling the full horror of the Trump campaign as he proudly sets out to destroy free and fair election. Yeah, I, you know, I don't, yeah. We're we're in trouble because we have a media that, um, yeah, have 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 been uh, have been pulling punches for decades because Republicans for decades have charged media with being liberal, and so media has bent over backwards for again decades. Showing that they're not both, you know, showing both sides, being perfectly neutral, turning and, you know, scared, scared that they're going to be said to be partisan. Um, and, you know, th this author says this, and this is why we're in trouble. Uh, his uh, one of the Trump people, Jason Miller, was on ABC's Sunday show this week, and he was lying constantly about how votes are counted. Uh, he he was claiming that counting done after election day are akin to stealing votes. But it's been done forever, ever. And his claims were met with silence from George Stephanopoulos, who did nothing to push back. And this is an unnerving, according to this person, media trend. Uh, you know, for the first four years, most of the media called his lies inaccuracies or misstatements or uh, misinforms or misinformation, whatever. They didn't call them lies. So when you've got a president now saying, we must have a final vote on November 3rd, that rarely happens, let alone in an election in which so many ballots have been cast through the mail. What he is doing to our democracy is, is just, you know, I, it, it, Vladimir Putin, it's sort of like a 9-11. Osama bin Laden couldn't believe, couldn't have believed how extraordinarily successful 9-11 was. Did they really think both towers would literally come down? Did they really, the Pentagon would, I mean, you know, they, they, they pulled off something so astonishing. They must have been in disbelief, not to mention, you know, just joy. And Vladimir Putin four years ago, working so mightily to get Donald Trump elected and working to undermine Americans' trust in their electoral process, 
couldn't in a million years have known how Donald Trump would do his work for him. The Russians don't need to be meddling much anymore. Donald's doing what they were doing. Sowing division. Sowing a sense of mistrust in all of our institutions. That was what the, the Russians did. And now we have their president, the one they installed, doing it himself. The Manchurian candidate, the Manchurian president. I wonder if we'll ever know the whole story. God. All righty, guys. That's it for me. I'll see you tomorrow, election day. And uh, stay safe. Okay, bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.